Word of the Lord. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, my prayer is that you would be glorified in, in our study this morning. My prayer is that we would be encouraged. Uh, the great hope that this pastor, pa, pa, this passage holds regarding your passion for the church, the great unity we have as we come together as one body through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit under one Spirit and under one Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Fathers, we do so this morning. Encourage your people, feed them the heavenly manna that comes from your word, the goodness that's written into it. Father, I'm reminded often that it it goes out from us. It, it accomplishes all that you have set it forth to do. It doesn't miss one thing. It cuts down asunder to the joint and to the marrow. It gets into the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. It corrects us, Father. It grows us. It enlivens us. It's a powerful two-edged sword. Father, go past my simple words this morning. Speak directly to the hearts of your beloved people, that body that this passage is talking about as we join together today. And the power of the Holy Spirit under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to glorify you, Father, and to live for you and to build you in our own hearts this morning. Feed us in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to this passage this morning and we, we've been here for just a minute. Um, it's good news about the church. It's exceptionally good news about the church. It's good news about each one of you that have joined together here this morning that say that, uh, that faithful words uh, of your testimony that Jesus is Lord. He is the one Lord, right? And this passage in verses 4 and 5 is kind of where my heart is this morning. Now we went through this whole passage last week. We kind of give you an overview of how through the church the Lord is working uh, because we had baptized Steve last week and we see that uh, young believer come up out of the waters and we have the hope and assurance that he's not going to stay in that position nor are we, that God is maturing all of us, that he's growing us, that he's building in us a flame, a fire, a love for his word. He's building in us something that we could never provide for ourselves. He's building his own glory in us. He's teaching us. He's growing us. He's maturing us so that we can come together as a body in unity uh, like no other uh, organization on this in this world or on this planet as the church to glorify him. There is one body, he says, one spirit, just as you were called to do one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord. And those three things, one body, one spirit, one Lord, are what I want to look at this morning. What is that great hope that Paul is getting at? 
That is that we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he shall never fail, we can say it together, we shall never fail. Because Jesus will never fail, we shall never fail, beloved. That is the hope of the church. It's better than that because not only will we not fail. Romans 8, we just read in that passage, I highlighted a little bit this morning in uh, Sunday school. It says that we are more than conquerors. It's not like that we run up to the finish line and fall flat and go, Phew, I just made it. We're more than conquerors in Christ, beloved. We have more. There is more. It's not just a running up and falling flat at the finish line, but we have great hope. And I suggest to you this morning that your bankroll, your car, I was just talking to somebody this morning, their car broke down, your boss, your government, your abilities, your body, I can guarantee you this because I can't even run two miles in one standing now, your everything will fail you at some point. But the Lord Jesus Christ will never fail you. I know the young people here this morning are going, the old man's going on, right? But our bodies fail us, don't they? My knees do not feel like they did even 10 years ago when I go for a run. Peter's displayed that hope. And, and it, wait, the, the unity that is bound up in the fellowship of the church is the second thing here. The fellowship of church and man with Christ will never fail. This is one hope that never fails, and this is the central point of this. The church will never be split. The true church is never in schism. And I know that's a big thesis to prove this morning. When you look out at all the churches and you see all the arguments going on, but what I can promise you this morning is, is that the true church never is in schism. It never fails. It's always growing closer to God. God is always doing his perfecting work in it. And that is what the true church has as its hope for unity. It's in the unity of one body, one spirit, and one Lord that we celebrate. Peter displayed that hope, that faith, that trust, that one body would come together in one spirit under the headship of one Lord. We have those illustrations in our Bible, so turn over to Acts chapter 2. And I just want to momentarily uh, touch on these things from the day of Pentecost. Because we see the beginning of that work in Acts chapter 2. It was Peter who, on the day of Pentecost, listen, that word Pentecost means 50 days, Right? It was just 50 days since they crucified the Lord, or 50 days after he descended, and 50, just a few days before that, that he was crucified. So we're less than two months from the crucifixion. Peter stands, and he proves the theory that I'm getting ready to set before you this morning that the one church can never be stopped, that not one thing will get in our way as we become the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We become one body. You see it there in verse 14. Uh, let's go back just a little bit to verse 5. Because it was the day of Pentecost. The Lord had ascended. They had gone into the upper room. They were praying. And then the Holy Spirit came. And it was when the Holy Spirit came that Peter began to preach. And it was the Holy Spirit that did the work of the preaching through the hearts of the people. Because there was a whole multitude of people gathered. Verse 5 says... There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's important to understand that every nation was affected here because that is where the church goes out to. That body that's being created by the work of the one spirit and the one Lord becomes one body from every nation. Right? So Peter, if you drop down there, verse 14 says, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice 
And he began to address the crowd there that day. Well, there were people there from other denominations. There were people there who were Jews. Uh, there were proselytes. There were people there from every nation and every pagan religion was represented. And all of those people that day. But the gospel did what it always does when it's proclaimed boldly from its preachers and from its carriers into the nations. That's each one of you because you've each been given the responsibility of the Great Commission to take the gospel to the nations, it changed people that day, right? That's what the gospel does. It took out of all those nations and all those variegated people and made one body of people as Peter began to preach the gospel. Now, this was the most difficult place in the world to preach the gospel. This was downtown Jerusalem. They had just killed Jesus Christ. Peter's life was surely in danger but that did not matter because as he preached, the body was collected together. And do you see it there? Do you see it? Uh, let's begin in verse 36, chapter 2 of the book of the Acts. Let's just see what happened as Peter began to preach and how the body was called out together. Let all the houses of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ to this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart because Peter had just accused them of killing the Lord of glory in their sins. And, he, <clears throat> and when they had heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words, I like this, Peter, Peter liked to preach, Peter was probably going on, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. In other words, when Peter went in and preached the gospel, there was this desperate, disparate group of people from every nation, every tongue, every language, it tells us. And he began to preach the gospel, and the Spirit went out in the gospel. And all of these people from different nations suddenly became one organization. 3,000 of them were added to the church that day. That's the first work of the powers of the Holy Spirit to make out of many people one body that would be the church that would glorify God. That's the one body. It works and it's called together through the one spirit under the headship of one Lord. Many members, one body. This is the exemplary work of the gospel there, when Peter preached in Acts 2.9, all those various ways of dividing man by nationality, by race, by creed, by skin color, by education, by social status, by economic means, male, female, slave, free, all of them were brought together into one body. They were unified in a way that they could never be unified as human beings before. They were made into the church. That is the unity of the body. And I just illustrate this by Wherever I go, and the true church is, I've said this before, but one of the most amazing first understandings I had when I went to the nation of India was that they gather, they worship, they sing songs, they, 
They love to hear the preaching. They love to hear the word. They love to hear more about Jesus. Their hearts are hungry. It doesn't matter where you go in this world. When the church gathers, it is one unified body. It is one true body. There is no schism in it. The Holy Spirit empowers them in such a way that they are going towards the truth. They are going towards sanctification. They desire the words of Scripture because it brings something out in the church that nothing else can do. You see that in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2? As soon as those 3,000 were added to the church, what does it say there in verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through those apostles as they preached. In other words, when they were called out of the nations, all those nations, and you, you can go back over there to chapter 2, verse 9. And it says, how is it that we each hear us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of all known parts of the world. Some of them at war with each other were there that day. And when the spirit fell and the man preached, they were brought into one body. Do you see that? There's a unity there that's unnatural. It's not a human unity. I've not only seen this, but I, I, the brothers that I go, uh, we had a particularly interesting day yesterday um, in front of Planned Parenthood in Philly. Uh, particularly wicked um, things going on. But those men that go with me, that bend their knees right there on that sidewalk and pray for babies to be delivered from death, that one body, that one unity, that cohesion is strengthening. You'll stand and go to war with people like that. And that's a place of war. So that true church, when it comes together, it's unmistakable, whether it's in India, whether it's here on a Sunday morning, or whether it's on a street corner. So from the earnest gospel preaching, 3,000 were added, and they began to desire to know more about God. They wanted to know more about the God. They had an unquenchable desire to know more about God, the one who saved them. And when they learn more about God, when we learn more about God, what does that do in our hearts? It drives us to worship God, to thank God, to pray to God, to join together with other believers so that we can praise God and know more about God and hear the word preached about God. Paul states that in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. Let me read these words for you. For just as the body is one and has many members, and that's beautifully illustrative uh, of what happened here in Acts. There were, I don't know the number of nations here, but the Bible makes it explicit. There were, there on Pentecost, they were all together in one place and they were dwelling in Jerusalem uh, from every nation, it says in verse 5, under heaven. So from every nation on earth at that time, they were brought together. For just as the body is one and has many members, so these many members were pulled from all different nations. And all members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. 
In other words, the way Christ is unified in his work and the way he's done his work in this world, so is the church unified in one body. Nothing can pull that apart. If, if Christ were separable from his work and his authority, then the church could be pulled apart. But since Christ is not separable, he's not divisible. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.13, is Christ divided? It's rhetorical. Heck no, he's not divided. He can't be divided. He is, singular, he is the most singular-minded. He is Christianity. What Christ is what the Lord is is what we are becoming as far as unified in the Trinity he is unifying his church me and you beloved uh, different colors different shapes different backgrounds different states different places different lineages different social economic statuses different genders all of us are coming together in such a way that we can't be taken apart if we're the true church do you see that not that, listen, not that we're uh, all automatons, that we're all exactly the same, that we all do the same thing, but each individual person keeping their individuality is being changed in their heart to become one church, right? That's what God is doing in us. Now, now I would just remind you that man can't pull that little trick off. <laughs> How many times do we watch political ads say, we're going to fix what's wrong in the world, we're going to we're, we're going to take all the injustice and just get rid of it. Ha, 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 ha. They can't do it. They don't have what it takes. They don't have what it takes because it takes the Holy Spirit and the changing of the human in such a way that only God can do that. For just as the body is one and has many members for, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words... We keep our own individual uniqueness. God has gifted each one of us, and we'll talk more about this as we get on down through this passage. What you have, I need, and what I have, you need, and together we come together and supply all those needs, and we grow and we mature in Christ, and it builds the body up in love, as verse 16 of chapter 4 says. There's only one way to do that. The unity that results is the basis for the hope that is given. If it's unity like I'm telling you, that should give you great hope. Because when you look in this world and you hear about all the injustice and you hear about all the crime and all the murder and all the things that go wrong, it's easy to lose hope. But not in the church. If it's becoming a unity like scripture says, there we should place our hope. There is where that one hope comes from. Nowhere in the world do we find unity among a people group. We lament here on the 4th of July the loss of what unity meant to this great nation. If you don't do that this morning, you're not paying attention. I don't know anyone over the average age of 40 years old knows the hope that we used to have in our national achievement and our national integration, but we're not unified like we once were, are we? That's because we're not connected to God like we once were. The church ain't as big here as it used to be. Uh, the right sense of national pride, and, the, and that is all because of our basis for unity in the United States was never on our own personal achievements. It could never be. Our unity, but the work that God was doing in our population as the church grew or was made smaller. So to reject God is to reject that unity, and we'll never get it outside of the church. This is not the workings of the body of church. This unity is animated and grows and is perfected as it grows until it's completely perfected one day in glory. That is why we have the hope. This is the hope we have. That growing unity is not of us and will engulf who we are and we will grow eternally together. The church displays this daily, though, on a personal level. 
There is a glorious and perfect diversity in the unity of one body. That is what the world longs for, is that through our diversity we'll be unified, but we're not. It is just the opposite. Only the church can achieve that. There is a glorious and perfect diversity in the unity of one body. That's because the church is a unity of diversity and displays a glorious depth and width of the glory of God. That is that God puts us together. He brings to Park Bible Baptist Church. If you're here this morning, it's not by mistake. He has brought you here to use your gifts in this place and in this ministry. He puts all of us together in exactly what he wants to have together. And together we become one body under him. He has brought together a variation of people and gifts to serve and to rule in this place at this time to do the work. He wills and will accomplish and displays and those things that display his resplendent glory. This unity and working together will not be abbreviated or interrupted by what seems like squabbles and difficulties. This is this may be one of the hardest things to believe about the church today, but it's because you're thinking of the church on a different level, I think, and this is one of the things I want to make clear this morning. The true church has no schism. It's just at different levels of maturity. The true church has no schism. What is schism? Argument. You know, separation. Uh, the true church does not have that. Why? Because God does not have that. You understand that? Christ is not separated. He didn't come on one mission and finish on another. He's perfectly fulfilling all of his work and will in this world. And there is no schism in what he's doing. There is no schism in the true church. Why? Because of one spirit. There is one, just one, animating principle that is in all who are the true church. And that is the Holy Spirit. That is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He indwells the believer. And because you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, beloved, you may feel off on days, but you can't be off. You may feel like you're not able, but it's God that's going to carry you across that. It's God's going to finish his perfect work in you. Is that not what the scripture says? He will not leave you alone. And I can argue this in many different ways. And you see now because of the pervasiveness of social media, uh, the determination of evil to dilute and disrupt the work and authority of God. But evil and Satan will not succeed in that. The, de the devil's work is to make you ask, has God really said? And that's what starts schism in church. But if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're going to be led to that truth. That is what the Bible preaches and teaches. And I promise this morning, that is what's taking place in our lives. We went over this chapter as a whole and go back to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. We're going to be back there momentarily. We went over this chapter as a whole and what it does, if you read it as a whole, or if you go back and watch the sermon from last week, is you're going to find that God starts with us in our, in our, in our baby or infancy stage and he grows us. Everything that comes our way, Romans 8 promises this. Everything that comes our way, whether it's hype, death, uh, whether it's persecutions, uh, death, whatever it is, is growing us. And Romans 5 promises us that it's only making us stronger. It's giving us endurance and patience and more faith so that we have more hope. Everything that comes our way for the true Christian, this is working on. And we see that in all different layers. That Satan is defeated. He, he will not be uh, uh, victorious in his line. He made Eve question the very words of Almighty God. 
and all he was doing was trying to interrupt the work of God. But he is defeated. His lies are all that he has and his ability to placate the lost in those lies because he will not placate those who truly have the spirit. We have and we're becoming one body because in us resides one Holy Spirit. So you see on social media all the time short memes of videos depicting the body of Christ as accepting, uh, accepting untrue things like God is a binary. You know, he, God has he, her pronouns. This stuff makes me absolutely want to jump through Facebook or Twitter and explode. Right? It's not my fight to fight. God's going to fight that fight. It is my fight to, to defeat truth, but God is going to work through that perfectly because you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's blasphemous garbage, and it will undergo the sure judgment of Almighty God. Or you see the schism that is affecting now the modern church uh, called egalitarianism. I don't know if you know what that big fancy word means, but they're just trying to put women in places of leadership where the Bible says that women can't be in places of leadership. Look. Just, if you're back to Ephesians, go to chapter 5. And I'm just going to read the first phrase to, 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 to illustrate this, this point. If you went into work tomorrow, I want you to read this phrase out loud and see what kind of pushback you would get. Do you see it? Verse, five, or verse 22 of chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Is that an outrageous thing for, for you to hear in public today? But the Bible teaches it, doesn't it? This is exactly what I'm talking about. If you have the indwelled Holy Spirit, you may not understand this when you first read it, but you are coming to that truth. Wives, submit to your husbands. That is so archaic in our culture today that if you said that, I guarantee if you posted that on Facebook tomorrow, that somebody would be beating you down. Oh, that's archaic. You just want to control women. Wives and husbands, that... That pretends that there's got to be a wife for every husband and a husband for every wife. My goodness, we can't have that. And male and female? What, with 12 different genders? Come on. Do you see what's happening? The person that is lost don't have the Holy Spirit, and they will take this and run with it and show how, how defeated you should be. But God is building something in you because you believe that, don't you? You believe the truth of Scripture. Why? Why are you different? Because you have one spirit, and he's leading you to one truth. This is why the true church has no schism. Now, you might be neutral, or you might wonder about that, or you might let the world come in and tell you that that doesn't sound right. You know, that's awful old pay patriarchy my goodness we got to defeat the patriarchy but if you have the holy spirit the lord's going to bring you to a place where you understand and love that doctrine you see how that's working that's why there will be no schism in the true church there will be no schism in the true church i'll just just that, that that's probably the best example i mean if i walk downtown philadelphia tomorrow and read that one passage I might not come back alive. There is no schism in the true body of the church. There is only one body and one spirit. Remember, it's that same spirit, the preaching of the gospel, that regenerated the hearts of all those people there in Acts 2 and brought them together into one body. That one body being unified. No, there was a lot of different people there that day, but they were unified under one truth, that God saved them, that they were changed in their hearts, and the spirit indwelt them and brought them together in unity. And God... Uh, there will be no schism in the true body because of what God's done. There's only one body and one spirit, and that spirit is not divided. Let me tell you why, because God does not lie. You ever heard that? Go to Numbers chapter 23 with me very quickly. 
Numbers chapter 23, verse 29. Beginning to wonder why I marked this, but I think I remember. This is the story, yes, of Balak and Balaam. You guys remember that story, some of you old, older Bible believers here. Not old age, but old because you've read several times. Balak is being asked by Balaam to curse his enemy, and his enemy just happened to be Jerusalem, and, and Balaam, being a true prophet of God, could not curse the people that God did not curse. And when he went before God, and, and he did so three times, uh, he asked God, do you want me to curse this people uh, so that Balak will be pleased with me and he'll pay me? Because Balak had hired Balaam to curse the people, the God people of God, and God would never never lie or never contradict himself. If he's going to bless the nation of Israel, he would never send uh, Balak to uh, curse a nation for Balaam, or Balaam for Balak, excuse me. It's really easy to get that backwards. And it comes to a head in verse 29, but it gives us a truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and what God is doing. Verse 29, And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and ram on each altar. I'm sorry, I've not got the right place. Call me crazy. Maybe it's 2429. It's not. No, I don't want to talk about the talking donkey because Block comes right out and says that uh, the God is not like a man. I'm sorry, I didn't get that reference for you, right? This is what happens when I market my text and not in my Bible. <laughs> well, I've got another one. Let's go to 1 Samuel 15, 29. It's going to say the same thing, I promise, if I got this one right. For those of you who thought I was perfect. I know, you're not here today, are you? 1 Samuel 15, 29. Oh, thank you, Lord. I got this one right. I can probably find the reference from here from the last. Ah, it's Numbers 23:19. I just imposed. It's not 23:29, it's 23:19, if you're making notes. But here it says the exact same thing. No need to turn back there. The reason there will be no schism in the true body in the church is because God never contradicts himself. Here in the story of Saul. Now, you remember this story? God says you're going to go defeat the Amalekites, and I want you to kill all of, their, all of their animals, all of their people, even the young, right? And I want you to hack Agag the pieces. And Saul disobeyed God, and Samuel came to him because Saul had kept uh, the spoil from the fight. And he said these words to him, as you see it there in verse 29, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that, sh that he should have regret. God never lies. God can never contradict himself. And turn with me quickly to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 now. First Corinthians chapter 12. And these stories are representative of God because of the work that he's doing in the Holy Spirit and the spirit that he sent to be in you does not contradict himself. He cannot lie. He cannot tell a lie. He does never have regrets. He always tells the truth, and that's why there will not be schism 
among his people because he is continually doing that work in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you say Jesus is Lord, you're not saying that other than the Spirit has made you able to do that. And the Spirit would never contradict itself. And I'll just use the case of egalitarianism again because there's a lot of women that believe they're called to the pastorate. They believe that God has called them because that's the basis for their argument to overturn what God has said about women being in the pastorate or who is qualified to be in the pastorate of a church. The scripture clearly says that it's men. But these ones who believe they are called are clearly saying that the Holy Spirit is calling them. Those two things can't exist. One of them has to be untrue, and it will never be the work of the Spirit, okay? It'll never be the Word of God. God never lies and never changes His mind. We have a finished book in front of us. It's not going to change, and we're coming to that truth one by one. The Lord is leading us to that truth. If you are led by the Spirit, you are true church, one body. This does not mean that you cannot be in error regarding one thing or another, but that because the Spirit resides in you, that you cannot stay in that error. And that until the error is resolved, you will be of a teachable spirit and growing in Christ to come to the truth. This is why the unity builds, and this is why it's hopeful, is because if you're truly converted, and we have a church of converted people, it is going to grow in unity. Okay? This is why there is hope. It's not going to end in schism. It's going to grow in unity. This is why biblical eldership will succeed in this church because people filled with the Holy Spirit will see that that's what Scripture teaches about leadership of the church. God will work in his spirit to engender unity through truth because no one who has the spirit that animates that unity can remain in error. Let me just tell you how this works in a practical way is that a pastor who fails to reach out to a member and correct them in their sin gets in big trouble. Because if that member is truly a believer, and if that member truly has the Holy Spirit, they may hurt or it may sting for them to hear about their sin, but they will ultimately praise you for coming to them about that sin. The Holy Spirit will not leave you alone if you're in sin. If you're a truly member of the church, you will come to it. Turn with me to John chapter 14, because the Holy Spirit is made to do that work. God has sent it to do that work, and it does that work in his church to unify it. John chapter 14, look at verses 15 through 17 there. Jesus says, this is where he promises the Holy Spirit, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you see that? We can only love Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we can only keep his commandments because we've been changed. And he says, he goes on in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's the paraclete. That's the Holy Spirit that comes to be indwelling you, to be with you forever. He's the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. Because he dwells in you and he will remain in you. 
verse 26. Look at the other work of the Holy Spirit. Let's start in 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, Jesus says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of all that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit builds that unity. Did you see it? Just a few more. Jump over to chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now to these disciples. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you unto all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Father sends the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. And the Father and Son send the Spirit to indwell the believer so that the believer will glorify the Son and the Father. (laughs) That's the unity we have as the church. All those who have not the Spirit, what happens to them? Well, I told you about somebody that's in sin that has the Spirit. They will eventually come around. You've got to pray. You've got to give them time. That's what we're working through as we become to a biblical eldership for leadership of this church. I, I had said early on that I thought it'd take about three years, and we're well into that work. And as we begin that study this fall, you will see the Holy Spirit work in the truth of Scripture. He will change the hearts and minds of people. He will move people that need to be moved, and he will bring about his desired result in his people because he's building unity. You can't make it stop. The true church will not have schism. It will continue to come together until Jesus Christ comes again. But what about those who are here among us that may not be saved? that just are here to cause problems. First John, First John chapter 2, verses 18 to 21 says this specifically, Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it's the last hour. Verse 19, They went out from us but they, because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You see the glory in that one verse? Let me read it again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, truly, they would have continued with us. They would have grown in that unity. They would have grown in that fellowship. They would have grown in the truth and the spirit. They would have grown. But they went out from us to make it plain that they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. It should be just accepted and searched out that where there is peace in the gospel, that there will be evil opposition towards peace in the gospel. Scripturally, Paul is literally leaving us in the book of Ephesians with the knowledge of the battle. In 6.10, in Ephesians 6.10, he says, Therefore, and then he tells us what it means to be in spiritual battle. He also warns the nation of Israel against idolatry and false prophets. They'll be all around us. We have to be continually ready for that, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. It should be accepted that there's going to be people who are straying around us. We should pray for them, that they would come to the gospel, but if not come to the gospel, that they would be shown for who they are and they would go. And Paul says it in Acts 2 as he meets there at Miletus with the elders from Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The Spirit is continually refining the unity and drawing us together. That's why the true church will not have schism. But the Spirit never contradicts itself, as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. There is only one. <laughs> there is only one to which he can testify, that the Spirit can testify. There's only one that he can testify to. And Paul finishes this. He says, one body, one spirit, and the one he testifies to, one Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord. Listen to me. Christ is Christianity. If one were asked to explain what Christianity is to me, it would be for me to tell them that I have Christ and he has me. For I am his, he is one, he is one Lord. There is no other like unto him, one Lord, Paul says. One body, one spirit, under the headship of one Lord. He is the basis for all of Christianity, and in his uniqueness and completeness and singularity, we find the great doctrine for the basis of our hope, one body, one spirit, for they are all unified under the head of the church, Christ Jesus, one Lord. He is the one mediator between God and man, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. One Lord. This statement in and of itself makes the ultimate claim in all of creation that there is none other like him, for he is the one Lord. He is the one Lord who completes it all. He is the one singular force. There is none other like him. It's his uniqueness. It's his glory. It's his work. We are his bride. He is our Lord, our groom. He is one Lord. I'll just leave you here. Jesus answered Peter's words. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What was Jesus saying? That the revelation of who Christ was was a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of Peter. He's saying, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and it's on this rock, on this testimony, on this testimony wrought by the work of God and the Holy Spirit, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not ever, never. This one Lord is carrying his one church home. Nobody shall tear it down. Nobody shall have more power. The one Lord, the immutable, sovereign, faithful, omnipotent Lord of heaven, whose word never, ever returns void, who accomplishes all that he sets forth for it to do. One Lord whose purpose always comes to pass. One Lord whose will is always fulfilled. Ultimately, whose plan is invincible. One Lord who has spoken, and it is in declaration of the ultimate triumph of the church. One Lord, gates of hell will not prevail against us. It is one Lord who knows his sheep. It's one Lord that knows each of them by name, and their names were written in a book before the foundation of the world, beloved. This is the unity that he's talking about. It's one Lord that chose 
each of you. It's one Lord that called each of you. It's one Lord that regenerated each of you, that redeems each of you, that is transforming and sanctifying each of you. And it is one Lord that will bring each of us to glory. Paul says one body through one spirit under the head and the authority of one Lord. Beloved, here it is in a nutshell. You either bow to the will of Christ as Lord or you spend eternity in hell. One body, the glorious church, one spirit that led us into the church through the regeneration of our heart, and one testimony of the one Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to close this morning. Thank you so much for Paul's words here that the unity in our hearts is there because of the work, the perfect work of the gospel and the Spirit to convict us of our sins, to turn us from them, and to turn us to the one true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, may we exhibit such unity here as a people that we bring glory to your name, that we bring to this community the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ who has saved us so that they too would know the safety, the encouragement, the hope, the goodness of belonging to this one body, this one family, this one group that you're putting together to bring to glory. Thank you, Father. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother Harvey, Brother Adam.